0: Well, I have the blessing to be able to read about the birth of Christ. Um, So if you want to get your Bibles out, we'll be reading from uh, Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 1. And it will be on the screen as well, hopefully. so. So it's the birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him.
1: Thanks for that, Sire, and uh, feel free to keep your Bibles open in Luke 1 and 2, we're, we're going to go probably up to uh, where the shepherds are. Well, I reckon uh, there are a few things that are more uh, universally satisfying for people than being proven right, right? Right? Uh, Predicting the future, looking like uh, you know things, being able to say, I told you. I told you our team was going to come back into the game. I warned you. I warned you what would happen if you went there, but did you listen to me? No. Why can it be uh, so satisfying to make a correct prediction? Well, I reckon it's because we can't actually uh, see or know the future. So being able to put the pieces together, to guess how something will turn out, makes us feel more than human, a bit like God, even. Of course, normally, we don't like hearing, and I told you so, do we? Uh, Normally, if someone else is saying it, they're probably rubbing it in our face. But occasionally, we don't mind. Sometimes, people aren't rubbing it in our face at all. In fact, they just want to tell us that they got it right Because they've got good news. Like a scientist, after years of hard, lonely work, finally finding the cure for a disease. They're not just going to sit back and crow about it, they're going to shout from the rooftops, I've found the cure, we can all be saved from this disease. It's a time for joy. And in this Christmas story uh, told in Luke's Gospel, we keep getting told this kind of good news. The same good news over and over again about God being proven totally right. Because the words of his prophets from hundreds of years earlier have come true. His words about sending a saviour into the world sending us a cure for our disease of sin and death, those words he spoke to Israel have been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And because this is good news, the best news, there's no rubbing it in people's faces going on here. There's just pure, unadulterated joy. Because from this point on, the world is changed forever. With the entry of Jesus into the world, nothing will ever be the same. The beginning of the history of the world has ended, and the end has begun. We've reached uh, the apex of our Christmas series, not that we've had to travel very far uh, to get here. Last week, uh, we began with looking at the foretelling and birth of John the Baptist from Luke 1. And we saw in that story that there are uh, parallels going on that are meant to remind us of the Old Testament, uh, of the history of Israel as God's people, but also to see uh, the differences from, uh, to the language of the Old Testament, all of which is meant to realize that God is doing something special. And the uh, parallelism continues in our passages this morning. In fact, uh, reading the foretelling of Jesus' birth might feel a bit like deja vu. Last week, we saw uh, that the story begins with a message from God given by the angel Gabriel. And that's what we saw this week too. Uh, The recipient of the message, both times, is going to be a parent. The conception of their son will be unusual, and their child will will be a cause for great joy among the people. But that's where the similarities largely end. Because while John's birth was meant to remind us of events from Israel's history, Jesus' birth is meant to remind us of Israel's prophesied future. In fact, of the prophesied future of the whole world. In the words of Gabriel and in the record of his birth, We see prophecies being fulfilled, promises being kept, both in this moment and throughout the life of Jesus. Now, we have to ask the question does it matter? If there are prophecies being made about the future and they come true, does it affect my life? We're going to look uh, briefly at three prophecies that are fulfilled in the story story we've read. And as we do, it's worth asking each time, does this matter? If this is true, and Jesus is who God is saying he is, what does that mean for me? So let's run through these. Uh, First we see in Luke 1, verse 31, we read, "'You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus.'" This is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The wording, you'll notice, is almost exactly the same. Uh, Mary herself would have known this passage from Isaiah and she would have understood what the angel was implying by quoting it to her. Even the names Emmanuel and Jesus are linked. Emmanuel means God with us, and Jesus means God saves. The implication being that Jesus himself is God with us, and he will show this by saving God's people, his people. This prophecy then is fulfilled first at the conception and birth of Jesus, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And then by Jesus' work of salvation on the cross, where he paid for the sins of the world. Does that affect our lives? Well, if you and I need to be saved from something, I think we'd want to know about it. If we need rescuing, then don't we need to hear the news that we're in danger? and the good news that a rescuer is on the way, wouldn't that be a great relief? A great joy, even. Secondly, from, verse, from the next verse, verse 32, we read, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This uh, fulfills the word of God that he gave to King David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, where God said, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Originally, this was thought to be a prophecy about uh, the King Solomon, David's son and successor as King of Israel, uh, who built a literal temple in Jerusalem for God. But of course, Solomon didn't live forever, and his kingdom only lasted until his death. After his death, it even split in two. Gabriel tells us that this Jesus who is considered a descendant of David by birth, will actually be the one to fulfill this prophecy. And again, when we look forward from here to what Jesus went on to do, well, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his uh, ascension to never die again, where he reigns now in heaven forever as king. That seems to fulfill this prophecy. And in fact, he's building a spiritual house for God among those who believe in him, as we thought about in our reflection last week. Does this mean anything for us? Well, if there really is going to be one man reigning as king for eternity, I think that's pretty significant. If this man became king because he was killed and then he rose from the dead and now lives forever, well, that's very significant. Because in all of human history, I can't think of any king and any kingdom that's anything like that. Nations and leaders rise and fall all the time. But there's this one promised one that will live forever. And if that eternal resurrected king wants you and me as part of his kingdom, and offers us eternal life as Jacob's spiritual descendants, as those who have faith in God, which he made possible through his own resurrection, well, that seems mighty important to me. That seems like an earth-shattering, world-changing event. And then as the third of these prophecies We go to the birth of Jesus in chapter 2, and we find that he's born in Bethlehem, just as we see in the book of Micah. In chapter 5, verse 2, it says, uh, God speaks, and says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Again, we see this idea that Jesus is going to rule over Israel. And we see throughout Jesus' ministry that this is a new Israel. The true Israel, as it were. And it consists of all those who have faith in him. Regardless of their ethnic heritage. That's the people that will be his kingdom. And as far as he himself as king, well, he's not just descended from David, he's even from the hometown of David. Just to really drive it home to us that this is the heir to the throne. But there's one more little addition here. His origins are from of old, from ancient times. And this is meant as a little double meaning. It indicates that the Messiah is of David's lineage from long ago, hundreds of years earlier. But the Hebrew word for ancient times here, erem, is used to indicate eternity. It most commonly appears in the Old Testament in words like everlasting covenant. It's a word associated with God's infinite presence over time. And here it shows us that, God, uh, that Jesus is God and man. He's a descendant of David, but also the eternal everlasting God. Which means, for us, that God has come to earth as a man, as an infant child. The creator has entered into his creation to do all these things. To save his creation from themselves, from their rebellion against him. To die, to let himself be tortured and innocent, taking on the punishment of the guilty on the cross... And then to be resurrected into eternal life. For there was no way that death could hold down the creator of the universe. Now, to me, that sounds pretty important. That sounds like God was willing to become one of us, even to give his life up for someone like you, for someone like me. Heaven and earth colliding in one God-man. Now Luke uh, doesn't even go into as many uh, of the prophecies about the Messiah, about the Saviour, as Matthew does in his Gospel. But hopefully, you still get the idea by now. In Jesus, lots of prophecies are said to be fulfilled, both at his birth and from his life afterwards. And I think we can all agree that that's a fairly impressive feat, right? For those prophecies about the future to work out so precisely as they were intended, that's pretty special. And we can also see here that Luke, uh, the writer of this gospel, has gone to some effort to make sure we get the picture, that we see these things working out. And if he's right about who Jesus is, then ultimately that means that God has worked in a very specific way in history all the way up to this birth so that everyone can see that this is a moment of ultimate significance. But how are we meant to respond to this? Is this just a bit of you know God showing off Is this just an impressive tale that's been spun? Does it really mean much to us if a bunch of predictions came true once upon a time? I mean, if your colleague got every match right in the workplace footy tipping for one round, that'd be kind of impressive, but it doesn't really mean anything for you, does it? If they did it for two rounds in a row, that'd be pretty good. But still, you know, I did that when I was five, Is that significant for you? If they did it for 23 rounds in a row, that would be noteworthy and certainly worth examining, possibly for a couple of different reasons. But on its own, it still wouldn't really mean much for you or me, would it? Because it doesn't involve us. So is the birth of Jesus like that? Is it a really impressive fulfilment of predictions relating to some long ago, far off birth of a Jewish boy and nothing more? Well hopefully we can see from the depth of the meaning in those prophecies that we skimmed through that there's more to it than that. But to add another layer to things, let's also have a, a quick look at the responses to God's good news that we see in these passages. Because I think we can safely say from these responses alone that this event isn't just a neat trick, that this isn't just an impressive show that we can forget about once it's over. There is something about this that is changing the world forever, changing our lives eternally. So, again, we're going to look at a trio, uh, this time, three groups that we see responding to God's good news, responding to Jesus in these verses. Uh, They're all located in different places, they're all very different groups, but they all have the same response. They all have an utterly joyful praising of God. So let's see why and consider what it tells us about how we should respond to the birth of Jesus. First up, we have Elizabeth and the unborn John the Baptist, uh, the relatives of Mary and Jesus. Now, because they're related, maybe we shouldn't be surprised at their joy. Uh, It's another addition to the family, right? Uh, Who wouldn't be happy about that in their shoes? But as we saw last week, biological family was not that important to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, They named their son, John, rather than Zechariah, even though that meant they wouldn't be continuing the family name Because they believed that God's glory was more important. And John was the name that God gave their son so that he would point people to Jesus. And here again, we see what matters to Elizabeth. God above all. As soon as she hears Mary's greeting, God's spirit comes upon her and she exclaims in joy, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Even John, unborn but filled with the Spirit as well, is overjoyed at the presence of Jesus. And blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. She recognises that God is present And that God is fulfilling his promises. Her joy, John's joy, is because God is with us, Emmanuel. The almighty God is right there beside them. Who is she? Who am I? Who are you? That any of us could stand in the presence of the holy, set apart, creator king of everything. And yet there she is, and there he is. Her joy is because God is completing his promises to send the saviour of the world so that all those who believe will be blessed forever. Next up, we have the angels. After Jesus is born, an angel appears to a group of shepherds to tell them the good news. Jesus is born. This angel tells them that this is good news of great joy for all the people. Because this Jesus is the saviour of the world, the Messiah, the Christ, i.e. the promised one of Israel, and he is the Lord, he is God. And then after telling these shepherds how to find Jesus, suddenly out of nowhere, a whole host of angels, an army appears, proclaiming glory to God in the highest, because God has just been born in a lowly stable in a little Israelite town so that he can save the world from its sins. Glory to God because he has come into his own creation to save us. Glory to God because he is fulfilling his promises. And then this army proclaims peace, peace on earth to those on whom his favour rests. Peace, because the rebellion against God will be over. Sin will be wiped away. Peace, because Jesus is here to offer eternal life to all who trust in him. His favour will rest on those who have been told the good news and believe it. And then as suddenly as they appear, they disappear back to heaven. They've proclaimed this great news to us humans so that we can know and trust in what God is doing. Because angels appearing is a pretty big sign that something amazing is going on. Throughout the Bible, the appearance of angels, messengers from God, is a sign that something has to be heard, has to be believed in, because it's just so important. And never before has any one message had this many angels delivering it. We get the sense that the residents of heaven are filled with sheer delight at the birth of Jesus that this really is good news of great joy. God really, really wants us to know that this matters in the best possible way for us. This is a big deal, which brings us to the shepherds, our third group. And these guys are at the bottom rung of Jewish society. Uh, They're down there with, you know, tax collectors. Uh, They're seen as untrustworthy, as thieves, as layabouts. And it's very telling that God's messengers will tell such lowly people to be the first to spread the good news to all the people of the world. Just as they've proclaimed, glory to God in the highest who now dwells in a lowly animal enclosure so too they send this message from the almighty God out with the lowly shepherds. The point of it is that we aren't meant to believe this news because of who tells it to us. We're meant to believe it because it's true. Heaven and earth proclaim, angels and shepherds, the highest and the lowest of messengers, unite to proclaim the praises of God for his work in sending Jesus into the world. What do these shepherds do once the angels have said their peace? Well, they, they leave their flocks. Now this is something they would never, ever even consider doing in any other circumstance. Their only job is to stay with their sheep. But instead, they rush to Bethlehem. Because they just have to see what the angels have told them about. They get it. They see how important it is. And when they arrive and they find this baby named Jesus lying in a manger, a totally unspectacular scene, even a pathetic scene, totally unfitting for a king, they know that what God has told them is true. Because everything is just as the angel had said it would be. And they're filled with joy. They tell Mary the good news. They tell Joseph the good news. They tell everyone they come across that God has come to earth. The Lord, their saviour, is here. They are overjoyed. Because lowly as they are in the eyes of their society... They know that their saviour has come for them. God has done what he has promised he would do. And they've seen him with their own eyes. Eternal life with God will be theirs through him. And they want everyone to share in their joy. To believe this for themselves. And may I suggest this morning that our joy should be even greater than theirs. Because we live on this side of Jesus. We don't just know as they did, that God came to earth and would do all the things that he promised. We actually also know how he did those things in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and his ascension. And we know that he will be coming back to complete his work of creation and redemption and everlasting life. Because we can read and know for ourselves the miracles he performed, the wisdom that he shared in his parables, the agony he endured on the cross, the amazing work of his resurrection, we can know an even greater joy for all he's done. Now, of course, we can't just be told to be happy. I don't know if you ever tried. Hey, you, be joyous. Doesn't really work, does it? But the joy that we see expressed in this story of the first Christmas isn't just out of nowhere. It's quite the opposite. It's a joy that comes naturally out of knowing and believing the truth about Jesus of all these amazing things that led up to his birth, that pointed to his coming. And then all these even more extraordinary things that came afterwards, that changed the world forever. The world is not and will never be the same. Because the birth of Jesus wasn't so much the beginning of the end of the world as it was the beginning of... Of the, of the end without end. The eternal, everlasting, forever ongoing conclusion to the story of creation is happening. It's one in which you and I can live forever with this same Jesus in all his glory. And that is unquestionably good news of great joy the greatest joy we can ever have. That's why we come together on this day, every year, so that we can remember and rejoice at the birth of our Saviour, the event which changed our world forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we uh, read this often familiar story, we can't help but be amazed once more at all that you've done. How you worked through history to point people uh, to your promise of a saviour. Of the coming of yourself to earth as a man. To wipe away the sins of the world in order that those who believe may have eternal life. And how you... Uh, brought such joy to people from all walks of life, from the highest to the lowest. And how you were willing to send your son down from glory into this earth, into a manger, a place for animals. How you first told this good news through your messengers to mere shepherds. Lord, you truly are the God who, for all, who is for all mankind. There is no one hidden from your sight. There is no one who's too far from your offer of salvation. So, Lord, we ask that for each and every one of us, that your spirit will work in us, just like it did in Elizabeth and John. That we would leap for joy in our hearts as we realize the breadth and depth of what you have done for us, as we acknowledge the truth of this good news. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we can be alongside the angels, proclaiming your praises forever in the new creation, just as we can now proclaim on this earth your glories, just as the shepherds did so long ago. Lord, we thank you for the truth of Christmas that gives us such great joy. And all these things we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus who you sent to us so long ago. Amen.